Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States. We are in the process of building a human library of immigrant stories. So be sure to join us every week for another riveting story. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you do not miss an interesting episode. Today we have for you, Dijana Breen, who is from Yugoslavia. Welcome Dijana. It's Tiana, Tiana Bryan. Oh, it's, you don't say the J. Well, so the J where I'm from is a Y sound. So it's Tiana or Tiana where, you know, if we're really going to get accurate. No, don't worry. I mean, we're all learning here. This is part of the space. If we don't communicate with diff- people from different cultures, different countries, I speak Spanish. I've studied French and I know that there are different pronunciations for different letters. Do you use the same alphabet even? Yes, yes, we do use the same alphabet. It is a Slavic language. In school, children did also learn what's called the Cyrillic alphabet, which is, you know, the Orthodox Slavic version of the alphabet. But I grew up just learning, you know, your regular alphabet. There might be a few letters that are additional or different. It's pretty similar to the English alphabet. Okay, right. So... The J is pronounced like a Y, kind of like the LL in Spanish. Yeah. 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 Kind of like that. That's right. Right. Okay. Very good. So we all have learned here. Yes. And I mean, I'm certainly very used to having it mispronounced and misspelled having grown up here. And actually, I, I first moved to San Diego when I moved to the U.S. and, you know, was very close to the city of Tijuana and had a lot of people spell my name or pronounce my name Tijuana with how close we were to that city. I thought I knew how to pronounce it just because it looked like something that was similar that I've seen before. Thanks for explaining that. So if you don't mind, can you tell us a bit about your heritage and where your family originate and what's the story that brings you here to the United States? Yes, happy to. So I was born in Sarajevo in the former Yugoslavia, what is now the country of Bosnia. I was born to a mom of Bosnian heritage and a dad of Croatian heritage. During the 80s, which is when I was born, it was very common to have marriages that were, you know, sort of mixed marriages, Bosnians, Serbians, Croatians, all, you know, living together and getting married and having children. In 1992, there was generally, I think, a lot of upheaval in various Slavic countries Bosnia, you know, sought its independence from what was then Yugoslavia, which which led to a pretty serious and intense civil war 
between the people of Bosnian descent, the people of Croatian descent, and the people of Serbian descent. I was five years old when that happened. Given the mixed marriage that my parents were in, and also the fact that, you know, my dad was, he was a somewhat high-ranking police officer in Sarajevo and just was not happy fighting his friends based on what their heritage was. We left Sarajevo pretty quickly after the war started and fled to Germany, which is where my dad had a brother. And we lived in Germany for about six years as refugees there. And it was 1998 when the war had officially been over for a little while and they started sending people back. You know, there was still some discomfort for my parents about whether they should go back to Bosnia, given, you know, that my dad was Croatian and my my mom was Bosnian. So we looked for other paths. And one of the opportunities that presented itself, it was actually through the International Rescue Committee, was to move to the United States as a, as a refugee and seek a life here. And so that is what we did. And that is how I found myself moving to San Diego, California, when I was 11 years old um, with my parents and my older sister, who was, I want to say she was 14 at the time. Wow. So how did things develop after moving over? Was there assistance to get settled? Did you guys have friends or family on the side? We did not have any family. We really didn't have friends. My uncle had a friend who lived in San Diego who essentially sponsored us, having never met us before, but just, you know, people people helping each other out. So he sponsored us to come here. Um, and when I say sponsor, you know, it, I think he had to basically guarantee that if my parents couldn't find employment, he would essentially help so that we would not just become sort of wards of the state. So we moved into the same, you know, apartment complex that he lived in. You know, it wasn't easy at first. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment, the four of us. It was pretty tight quarters. We initially were on food stamps and receiving government assistance while my parents learned to speak English. And we we learned to speak English. We didn't speak any English when we first moved to the U.S. and looked for jobs and started school and tried to acclimate to being an American. But the first year was really rough, especially as a you know, preteen trying to fit in and not really fitting in at all. <laughs> wow, I can't imagine. So wow, you didn't speak English at all. So you had to start from scratch, the whole family. Yeah, so I will caveat it. So in Germany, in the fifth grade, you start to learn your first foreign language. And so I had just picked English as my first foreign language when we moved, but I think we had basically gotten into breakfast food <laughs> and had not learned anything beyond, you know, how to say the word sausage before we moved here. And such is life. And, and here we are today. Yep. Uh, so what is life like? If you can remember, have you visited, you know, since you guys left, what, what is life like in, uh, is it Yugoslavia or back then that was the name? Uh, have things changed? You know, what was it like before the war broke out? Yugoslavia and, and the countries that have now become Yugoslavia, which, you know, there are, are I want to say, six or seven countries that are now sort of the former Yugoslavia. I'll make it easy and I'll speak about Bosnia. It's 
a beautiful country. It is very rich in culture. The influences that we have there, it was it was sort of this this crossing of the Ottoman, you know, empire influence of the Roman empire influence, and also of the sort of Russian empire influence. So you really had this very rich culture that had the Turkish coffee, but then it also had more Italian influence and the the more Slavic influence. And so it was really very unique in that way. The thing that I just remember the most about the culture and the people, and that I still feel when I come across people from the former Yugoslavia is just the warmth. You never see someone without inviting them into your house for a cup of coffee or a drink or to catch up. You never really locked your door. People just were always popping by to check in and and talk. And it it was really a very wonderful place to grow up. Many people don't know this, but in the early 80s, we hosted the Winter Olympics. So there was, you know, winter sports were huge there. Sarajevo is actually in a valley with mountains around it. And so we grew up, you know, I learned I learned how to ski when I was three years old. We had a lot of that influence as well. The food is very much, I call it peasant food. It's very hearty meat and potatoes type of food, but just incredibly rich and delicious. And I was very happy there as a young child. And still I'm very happy when I'm around that culture and around that influence. And I've gone back a few times, both to Croatia and to Bosnia. And that aspect of it really has not changed one bit. The people are just as warm and inviting as as they were back then. Right. That's awesome. What's the music? I don't know very much about the music in that part of the world. And what is your native tongue? So I speak, I call it Serbo-Croatian. That's what it was called when it was Yugoslavia. It has now become, you know, Bosnian, Serbian, Croatian, um, but it is, it's a Slavic-based language. The music is, it very much aligns with popular music is at the time in the U.S. So I grew up, you know, when I lived there listening to kind of like the 80s, 90s rock music with my parents. Now it's very much, you know, it's got the pop influence, the rap influence. And then there is a little bit of this kind of Middle Eastern spin to it, I would say, you know, the instruments and the beats tend to have some inspiration from Middle Eastern style music. Okay, nice. Thanks for sharing that. That's quite a Nice window into uh, the world of uh, your native country. And so you've given us a bit about the family story as to how you guys came over. There was a war and your dad left the country at a lot of time in Germany. And you guys got the got classified as refugees through the International Rescue Committee. Is that aligned with UNHCR, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees? No, I don't think it is. I think it's sort of a standalone nonprofit that helps refugees, I want to say, just specifically come to the U.S. Okay, so not connected with the UNHCR at all. I don't think so. Okay. What was life like then for you making that adjustment? You had to learn English from scratch, basically, all of your family moving in with a friend and living in close quarters as you grew up. What was it like adjusting and And uh, what were some challenges you may have faced? It certainly was not easy at first. And there were many times I 
found myself crying to my parents, asking why couldn't we go back to our friends and our family? Why did we have to be here? There were definitely times where, you know, kids and and people were mean to you because you could not speak the language um, and it, it didn't feel good. But my parents were very much of the mind that this is the life we have chosen. These are the opportunity, you know, opportunities that we have decided to go for. This is our home now. And we will, you know, do everything in our power to acclimate and to learn the language and to make this work. And that was the message that they continued to, you know, sort of hammer home for both my sister and I when we struggled with these. And so we're going to learn the language and we're going to keep working on that and keep practicing. And we're going to, you know, go to school. My parents both went to night school so that they could work on their English skills at the school that I started. There was a English as a second language program that was all kids whose English wasn't their first language. So we just worked on it. Um, And we eventually, you know, learned the language started to make friends. My parents found jobs. I feel like very much the, I want to call it the Eastern European mentality, but they found jobs 20 plus years ago that they are still at to this day and have never left. We found our place. And I, I think it was very much just through hard work and my, my parents' constant hammering home of the, this is our home now and we're going to make this work. Wow, they stayed at those jobs for 20 plus years. Yeah, my dad's a mailman actually in San Diego still. He's retiring this year, which is really exciting for him. But he found that job, you know, started out as sort of a temporary employee. I mean, almost 25 years ago now, it was shortly after we moved and, you know, worked his way up into a permanent position and has been really happy there. He loves talking to people and getting to know people's stories. And then my mom, she had worked at a bank when we were in Yugoslavia. And so she was able to find a job, you know, looking for a sort of a a bookkeeper, office manager, and has been there to this day. And she got that opportunity because another immigrant was hiring for the job and, you know, could see past the accent and could see past the not perfect English and gave her that chance. And she's been there ever since. Wow. I guess that was fate for you all, I guess, right? I mean, yeah. things worked out. You found employment and stability in a new country. I'm sure you've naturalized since and, and now call this uh, your home. Yes, that's right. I was 16 when my parents got their citizenship, so I didn't have the wonderful experience of getting to go through the naturalization ceremony um, because I just became a citizen sort of under them. But it was a very emotional experience for them. And, you know, I remember helping them study for their exam and it was very special. Yes, wonderful. Wonderful to hear. So, Were there any opportunities that came along that you could say or speak to specifically that just changed things for you? You came at 16. How did things turn out for you? Did you go off to college? You know, what was your dream at the time and how did you make that happen? 
since leaving Yugoslavia, had decided that I was going to become a lawyer. My dad had actually gone to law school in Yugoslavia, you know, start practicing law once he retired from the police force. And that never unfortunately happened. And so, you know, this little five-year-old girl, I decided I was going to do that for him. And it was my goal and my path my entire life. And it, it kept me going. I went to college. I went to law school. I found, you know, employment as a lawyer after law school at Cooley, which is a, a global law firm. And very recently, I actually made partner at Cooley. My American dream feels like it is absolutely come true 100%. Wow, congratulations on becoming partner. Thank you. Your father must feel so proud of you sort of doing part of his dream too. It's a very special experience for him. And I think there's this feeling amongst children of immigrants in particular that your parents have sacrificed so much to give you the opportunity to be in this country and you really want to do everything in your power not to waste that opportunity. And I, I very much felt that my entire life. And it was a driving force where I am today. Yes. And I can relate. And that resonates with me as well. You want to make them proud and certainly don't want to break their hearts, but, you know, do your best to use the opportunity that they've given to you. Right. Right. So what was any big surprises or or big adjustments that you needed to make coming from the culture that you were being raised in? And certainly, I'm sure your parents being older, perhaps, maintained the same culture at home. How did you manage to balance the American culture versus what you had at home versus how you were being raised? What was that like? There were definitely some adjustments, especially, you know, as a, as a teenager in America, seeing a lot of my friends and classmates having a lot of freedom, you know, to, to do things and to stay out late. And, you know, my parents were definitely of a a stricter cultural sense. And there was definitely some having to balance keeping them happy and also trying to explain to them why they should be okay with certain things because they are, you know, commonplace in the U.S. There was definitely some adjustments for them because, you know, they they grew up in a, a pretty strict country and a pretty strict environment. And it was certainly an adjustment to move to the U.S. and just see how much freedom and opportunities, I mean, the opportunities being a very good thing, but how much freedom and opportunities people had in this country, even at a very young age. Even things like I got my first job at 14 years old, which was, it it took some convincing because they, you know, in their minds were thinking, you know, school should be your priority. And that's what you should be focusing on. They weren't really used to, to people getting jobs and working at such a young age. Right, right. Okay. How did you all deal with the dating and, you know, when you become a teenager and some of that happening around you? How did you guys manage that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really, um, a really great question. And it definitely took some convincing on my part for them to allow me 
to start dating when I was in high school, they were definitely not comfortable with that. They really had to meet the people, meet the person, meet their parents, meet everyone they possibly could <laughs> before they would let me, you know, go to someone's house, whether it was someone I was dating or even a friend. There was so much of the, you know, we need to know everyone that's going to be there or everyone that you're going to be around, which was very different than most of my friends whose parents sort of just, you know, let them go wherever, whenever. There was just a lot less of that kind of supervision. Right. Okay. So as you've gone through college and started working, and a little bit earlier than I thought, you started at 14. Have you been able to show up as your authentic self as an immigrant? Uh, or have you had to make adjustments just to integrate, to build rapport and um, to be successful in your career? You know, it has taken some time for me to feel comfortable showing up as my authentic immigrant self. When I was younger, it felt like integration was the number one thing. And so I, I really left that side behind and tried to just show up as the American that's just like everyone else. And as I've gotten older and just more comfortable in my skin, I have really embraced my immigrant status and have spoken about it, you know, very freely and frequently. I really use it as a, a platform to both help other immigrants feel that they can succeed in this country and accomplish the types of things that I've been able to accomplish. But I also really like to use as a way to teach people who might have certain views about immigrants that they're wrong and that, you know, we are very much important and contributing members of American society, that we're not here to you know, change everything or everyone. And I've definitely become very vocal about my immigrant self. Very good. Was there something that happened that kind of helped you to just, you know, find your voice? The thing that really helped me was that my appearance to most people is as though I am an American. I, I speak without an accent. I have blonde hair. I, I am Caucasian. And I found that a lot of people would assume that I was not an immigrant and would feel very comfortable to share with me certain views that they had about immigrants that I obviously did not agree with. And so my comfort in bringing out my immigrant self was actually sort of because I I wanted to speak up and, you know, show these people that that was not okay and that, you know, immigrants are not who they think that they are. And so it was really almost a, you know, it wasn't that people were making me feel comfortable speaking about it, but it was more that people were making me feel upset in the way that they talked about immigrants, which caused me to really want to be more open about that. Right. Okay, good. Well, Kudos to you, because I, I know at times it can be difficult for someone to elect to take on an attribute that might potentially bring them harm or leave them out of certain spaces. But you chose to stand up in that part of who you are and to stand as an ally with those of us who are 
still walking and are, you know, still have an accent. We're identified as foreigner or immigrant. So we appreciate the fact that you stood out and used your voice to speak for those of us who are still walking this walk. I mean, it's it's so important for us all to support each other. And it is a very difficult thing to do to leave behind everything you know to move to a new country. And I think that people who do that deserve nothing but respect and support. Absolutely. And that's why we exist. <laughs> that's why we're here on this platform is to highlight and, and humanize the journey of people who are still moving or who've been here trying to make it through this very complex society we live in. Do you have any advice in particular for immigrants who are here trying to integrate those who are new and trying to figure out how do I make it here? It might be another young lady just like you who doesn't speak English and has to go and take uh, English as a second language course and, and so many other cultural issues that they'll have to educate themselves about and um, struggling through high school. What, what advice would you give to somebody who could benefit from your journey? My advice is to remember that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that when things feel really hard and like you're not fitting in and you're having a hard time, you will get through it and, you know, just keep going, keep practicing the language, keep trying to find people to connect with. There are so many of us who are immigrants or children of immigrants in this country that will bring you up and, you know, look for those people to help bring you up and you will get there. Do you offer any uh, outside of your uh, full-time job, Tiana, do you offer any coaching services that you'd like to share with our audience if anyone would like to reach out to you? I I do not. I am a full-time lawyer, but I am avid mentor of people in my firm or just people aspiring generally, you know, to become lawyers. And I would be happy to, to speak to anyone who could use some advice or support. Okay. And if there's such a person, how would they find you? I think the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn or, you know, I, my, my firm's website, you could reach out to me that way as well. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you for offering uh, a bit of your time for anyone who might need to seek some guidance about law school or, or any career path they might be thinking about in the legal side of things. Uh, we appreciate that. Anything additional you'd like to share while we bring things to a close? No, I think we've covered it all. Thank okay. you so much for everything you do. Thank you so much, Diana, And um, we appreciate your time and your story. And you've been a powerful example of how hard people work when they move from a whole different country, give up the world they know, the culture, the ways of being and move to another part of the world and learn the language, study, you know, very successful in your career and establishing yourself here in the United States as uh, quite a value to our society. We appreciate you. Thank you. So we wish you all the very best uh, to you and your family. And um, you're welcome anytime that you may have something additional to offer. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, Deanna. Have a great Sunday. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence. 